Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts and stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. And now, here's your host, DJ Bob. 11 years ago, I was 15. 11 years ago, this was just something to do over the summer. And 11 years later, I'm still here. Today, on July 19th, we celebrate 11 years of this little thing I created that turned into a much bigger thing than I ever expected it to. And how do we celebrate? By the tables being turned. I was 12 years old, and I was interested in radio. And I happened to find this guy named DJ Rick Adams, who hosted this wacky children's radio show for kids and families called Radio KOL on AOL.com. And I was a frequent caller. Now, he would give everybody names, everybody a DJ name, like DJ Smarty Pants or something really goofy. But he just randomly started calling me DJ Bob one day. Sound familiar? Well, you know, he's here with us, and it's a very candid conversation. You'll get to hear some stories I've never told before. Raw and unfiltered. And there's even some fun clips from the past, too. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I enjoy doing it, and as much as I enjoyed talking to my friend for all of you. I would be nowhere without this guy. And I hope it shines through. So we're going to look back today. It's 11 years of the show. We've got some interviews. We've got some fun stuff to talk about. But, you know, there won't be a guest. It'll just be me. I think. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, look, just one second. This sounds like a really boring show to me. What, what on earth are you doing, DJ Bob? Obviously, it's not that boring because you were the first guest. I was the first guest, yeah, but you can't have an 11th anniversary show um, like this. You just can't. Let's, we need to flip this. We need to, we need to find our COVID pivot. And I think we found it. Let's let's we get, I'm going to turn this 11th anniversary upside down, baby, and shake shake out of its pants for loose change. Okay, okay, all right. So let's let's do it this way. Are you ready? Yes. Push the button. Push the button. DJ Bob on the DJ Bob show. He's kind of a big deal. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. This is DJ Rick. And you're listening to the DJ Bob Show. I'm sorry, it's all we've got. You are listening, ladies and gentlemen, to the 11th anniversary of the DJ Bob Show. Can you believe it? 11 
minutes worth of no 11 uh, days how many uh years 11 years of the dj bob show yes for some it's a life sentence for others it's an extraordinary experience that's changed their lives and i know it's changed mine so i am um i'm, I'm your host today really and i'm going to take those i'm going to i'm going to take the reins of this show out of the very capable and brilliant hands of dj bob my name is rick adams and um I'm one of the first people on the DJ Bob show years ago. So it's only fitting that I'm back slightly older, definitely more hairier um, to interview the great man himself. So ladies and gentlemen, please really welcome to the show, the DJ Bob show. Quite unsurprisingly, it's DJ Bob. DJ Bob. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's fine. It's great to be had. Um, so, so Bob, what was the start of this show? Like what made you want to do this show in the first place? Why did you start all this madness? Well, honestly, and we, your fault. What? Don't you blame me. We've already been through the courts about this and we settled out of court. I paid you quite a substantial sum. <laughs> Can we not talk about it now on the air? Oh, whoa, whoa. You know, uh, Oh, oh, oh sorry. Oh, oh, wait. No, that's the other thing. Oh, 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 sorry. You meant I inspired you? Well, that's, yes. that's very nice. Thanks. I had always been interested in radio, and but I discovered your show at a time where it was getting easier to create stuff. It wasn't where we are now, but it was, you know, it was better. Podcasting was just starting and other stuff like that. So I just started a podcast called Radio BOB at first, which, in retrospect, that name was just very like basic. And how you didn't sue me, I don't know. But we would never have sued you at Radio KOL. I mean, for instance, Radio BOB to me says, a number of different things like radio, bring your own beer or bring your own barbecue or, you know, I, so. I get that, but it was so very, you... it's very similar. Um, <laughs> and I, so then I brought, I did it on a website called stickam.com. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah. I do remember that. That's right. Yeah. It was very short lived. <laughs> Post. It was a good idea, though, wasn't it? It was very clever. There were you lots know, of very it, clever ideas that just went. But what I love about you is that even as bad as it was, you were there. Like, And, and for camp- those of you who don't know, what I was doing was I was running and presenting um, a a daily kids show on uh, AOL. Do you remember them? America Online. They had a radio service and a kids service called KOL, called Kids Online. And so I was the DJ on this show. We had a four-hour live slot and we'd have complete lunatics phoning up like this guy. And that's kind of how we met, wasn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it's so weird to be able to collaborate with you like this because there's never a day where I do a cool interview and the first person I text is you because I know <laughs> you're going to like be shocked and be supportive and be, be like so into it. So you've always been one of my biggest advocates as far as what I do. So the DJ Bob show concept of it all 
I had just gotten off of a radio station out of Pittsburgh and they fired me. So why did they fire you? Do you know the story? I don't. I want to know why they fired you. Okay. So back then, back when, back when it happened, I was pissed. Now I totally understand. <laughs> um, so you have to understand when I was recording this show, I would record it on Sunday nights to, to make sure it went out mm-hmm. the next Monday or the day after the Monday. So I, I would be recording the Sunday night before school. And before school, you're having dinner, you're getting washed, you're, you know, getting ready for the week. So I decided to, like, eat on the air. You know where this is going, right? And Uh-oh. I would chew noisily on my food. So it'd be like, mm-hmm, this is a good song. And, and then... You hear me go at the end of the break. You hear me go, Wendy's is awesome. <laughs> you nutcase. So now do you get why? Like, I, I totally. You, yeah, I totally get why they fired you because you can't do that. It's like, right. But it's like, I was it's so like picking new. your nose on live television. <laughs> I was so new to this thing that I didn't care. I care now, <laughs> but again, it's like, so that took me to do a live show called the DJ Bob show, which was four hours. You know that too well. Um, mm-hmm. And it was live for like a summer. And then we, I realized that I couldn't do it anymore because it was just physically taxing. You can, like, I it was probably difficult for you some days to do a four-hour show and man the ship like that. Like, it's really true. No, it's true. You, you know, doing a live show every day, um, pretty much six days a week as I was doing it, and, you know, and you're always thinking about your show, aren't you? There's, it's just, it, it becomes something that you have to kind of find a way through, otherwise you can get you can get a bit stuck and you have to have support. You have to have good friends around you, good people. All of those things are really, really important. So, yeah. And what I've learned now is if I can't do something one day, it's okay. Like I'm not going to like work myself to the bone. So I'm physically messed up. Like, because it is physically. So, like, my mental health and my physical health are more important than ever while doing this show. If I, I'm not going to push myself to do a show if I don't want to do it. So you got fired from Pittsburgh. And where did you feel you were at then in your life? Did you think that that was it? Were you just, like, really lost? Um, here's the deal. I was so pissed. And what happened that I don't really <laughs> remember, I guess I just, I guess I just started this, this independent thing called the DJ Bob show, like months later that, and then, and the other interesting thing is the Facebook page started first. I didn't know what it was. 
I just had a name, the DJ Bob show. And then three weeks later, we launched whatever that thing was. Like, <laughs> I can't tell you. Like, it was just so weird. And that's 2010 um, that yeah. this show, this show is sort of uh, started in. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, and that's an interesting time, really, because I think the world was really changing then. The internet was opening up a lot more. There were a lot more apps and things you could use. Um, when I finished uh, KOL and AOL in 2008, if I wanted to do my show, I went to see a well-known streaming um, platform. Well, actually went a platform. They were a backbone. They're like the servers. And I went to talk to them and they said, sure, we can do your show for 15000 a month. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't have that cash. So, you know, then, and then in 2010, how did you start going about setting up? What were you looking at and who were you using to get started with? I was using um, one of those free shoutcast things that would, you know, just stream your stuff, which honestly was illegal because I wasn't paying licensing fees and I wasn't you know what I'm saying but mm -hmm. I did it just to do it mm. and then it turned into me going on a radio station based out of London for a while called oneradio.org and I was there for three and a half years but like then it's like the DJ Bob show, he never, for as long as you've known me, and then some people change their show names left and right. <laughs> and the DJ Bob show has always stayed. It's been there in the background. It's just like, you know. You know, it's like, it, but. Like air. Yes. It's vital. You need it. You can't live without it. If you don't have the DJ Bob show, what are you doing with your life? Thank you for the free endorsement. You're welcome. That's twenty five fifty. I thought so. Okay. Um, yeah. So the DJ Bomb Show has always been a part of me. It's always been evolving. It, it started out as this this top forty radio jock thing, but now it's so much more conversational. It's so much more real. I'm talking about my disability more. I never talked about my disability in the early days. It was never a thing. Why didn't you talk about it? I never wanted it to be the pity party, poor me concept. I wanted the show to speak for itself. I didn't want there to be a hook. Yeah. Now, having a show on a, having a hook on a show is great. But having that kind of hook is distracting to the audience at times. Yeah, and it doesn't matter, does it, essentially? Because what radio does is free everybody of any kind of expectation or even, well, not necessarily expectation, but it frees people of their assumption about other, the, the other person. And I, I think what I really like about radio the most is that you can make up a fantasy in your head about what that person looks like, sounds like, who they are, where they live, what they do. You know, it's, it's, it's a dreamer's um, kind of world, isn't it? And so you can create any world you like. And I suppose, in a way, that must have been very freeing for you, right? Yeah. 
But it's also like when it is, when it was mentioned, because because cerebral palsy, as well as the physical, there is these verbal tics and these verbal tendencies that kind of make it obvious. It's, it's freeing, but it's also like, what if, you know, what if this happened? Or what if that, you're always going to have that voice in your head. Like, what? What if this happened? What if that happened? So, give me an example of like, what do you mean? What if this happened? Like, let me give you an example. So, I had interviewed um, a famous, don't want to say names. Like, I, I had interviewed a famous Kim Kardashian from, yeah, <laughs> sure, from the 90s. And I had went on the, I was new to the show. I was just, I was like a year in. I was still like fleshing it out and, you know, and my equipment wasn't working. And I've told this story before. So if people have heard it, forgive me, but you haven't heard it. So moving on, let's go to the next story. No, (laughs) but my equipment wasn't working and he called on the phone and it just wasn't working. I was panicking. And he said, I don't have time for this retard. And hangs <gasps> up. OMG. Who said that? That was somebody helping you with the technology? Or was it their company? That, that, was, that was the guest. Oh, that was the guest saying that? Yeah. Oh, my God. That is so, that so can, out of order. So that can mess with you you know it's like that can how many people have done that to you in your life and career um in one way shape or form like three or four that's not a bad odd i suppose that's not that's not bad odds but even still those those moments kind of i know i can't heart i i know i can't fixate on those but I do think about those from time to time because it shows you how backwards our world is with people with disabilities still well I remember there's a a friend of ours a mutual friend and I won't name him for the reason that I think it's just a slightly embarrassing story but I went to meet him and he's in a similar situation to you and as I was walking up to him some guy just launched in front of me and 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 made the sign of the cross on his forehead with his with his thumb you know and and said you know god bless you and all this kind of stuff and it was like i mean if you if you did that to just an able bodied person went straight up into space and did that you know you would either be punched out or the, the police would be called or whatever and i just i was i saw it go down and i was so angry and the guy just scurried away too fast for me to be able to say anything to him but i was just like i was open mouthed i just couldn't believe that people there are some silly people but the the sad thing is is they're few and far between and i don't think everybody thinks like that at all i think i think it's a very small percentage but but it's just it's sad isn't it that you have to fixate on these three or four people that did that to you and 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 it's just so so huge I'm saying that, but I'm not worried about it every single day. Oh, good. Good. Okay. Well, that's good. But at the same time, it's like, 
It's there. Especially when it's somebody not new because you're meeting new people every day in this industry. Mm. But when you're you don't know what people are going to perceive. No, not at all. You're never you're never gonna so now when I do book an interview the the cerebral palsy part of it is in the request. Mm. It's right there. And I've learned to talk about it more because it creates a dialogue with people. Yeah. Now more than ever, I think people are a lot more sensitive and understandable. And it makes them want it makes them want to know more. Mm-hmm. The tables are literally turned. Like they want to know more about what I go through and why I do this and why, you know, why their work has impacted my life or why, you know, it just creates a conversation that they wouldn't otherwise have. Well, let's talk about that. Like, why do you do this? Because it it obviously, I mean, it's not easy to do what you have to do. It's physically demanding and exhausting um, because of your situation, but it's, it's physically demanding for anybody doing it. If, if I'm doing it, it's physically exhausting, but you do this for what reason? Why, why do you do the DJ Bob show? I do it because if I can inspire one person by showcasing my interest in one place and be that person to a 12-year-old like you were for me. And maybe someone's in a wheelchair and they don't know how to express themselves and then they see me doing it. It's like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I've gotten emails saying that, I've gotten emails from people saying that your show has brought me back to a simpler time. It's helped me with depression or something. So it's like, it doesn't matter to me about numbers. Numbers are nice. Number like a sponsorship would be great. I'm not denying that, but I don't care. As long as I'm creating and as long as I'm doing stuff that brings people joy and makes them forget about their problems for a while, then I'm doing my job. I think that's brilliant. And I think that is what you do. And it is so interesting. What you do is hold space for other people. It's a generous offer of being able to sort of be there for other people. It's an intimate thing, radio. And, you know, you really feel like you're having a really close up conversation with somebody. Whereas television's so in your face and loud and has to also deliver on so many different levels. Radio is just way more intimate and way more effective. And it's so much more conversational too like we're like even pitching this to you I think this is just a conversation yeah I love it I love it and I think it's you know you and I don't often get a chance to talk like this about the deeper stuff behind why you do what you do and I think it's really important to talk about it because it's you know those kind of values and things that drive us are are the, the most important parts that we don't often share with everybody 
That's so, why that's why I brought you here because I knew because last time I had one of the one last year I had one of my favorite inter my favorite guests do it one of the one of the puppeteers that work with Jim Henson and mm-hmm. he was a wonderful so I'm thinking who could I do for this year who could interview me this time because it's like it's just so freeing to just know what people want to know because I'm sure there are things that you've always wanted to know about this stuff that I do so I wanted this to be a place for you to ask me stuff yeah absolutely and so let's talk about the equipment you use because that's really important and things have really changed over the years where you know 10 years ago 11 years ago when you started um, things weren't quite as cool as they are now. What were the challenges of the early part of your show when you were trying to put it together, get the equipment together, make it all work? What were the big problems? Well, I, I have to admit that technology was not where it is at now, like you said. Like it just wasn't. So what I would do is I would... Um, I had one of those cheap Behringer, Behringer, Behringer right. boards, and it was like a five-channel thing. And I thought it was the coolest thing, but it was only one mix, so I couldn't talk to anyone off the air. They had to hear everything, and that's not great. Like that's serviceable, <laughs> but that's not great. <laughs> And so you had to do put all the wiring together and figure it all out to make it yes. work. And then what service were you streaming on then? I was, I, I don't even remember. It was like one of those free shoutcast things. Yeah. And Shoutcast again was owned by AOL at that time. Um, they've now sold it since to, I think, a Belgian company, but they, they were really responsible for, I remember going to see the, the radio guys and they, they're very cool. They, the shoutcast thing was kind of like an open source way of allowing people to do you whatever can they do wanted. Whatever you wanted. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really fantastic idea. So very freeing. So what what kind of equipment you had? You had a Behringer. What kind of mic did you have? Uh, this is a funny story. So I had one of those Samsung CO1U condenser microphones. And it was like a Large, it was like one of those, it was more like a studio mic less than a radio mic. It was, it was bulky. It was, I didn't have a stand for it, so I had to sit in a cup. It was very, <laughs> it was very low rent. <laughs> but it worked. Barely, but it worked. Um, And I had to like position it just right for it picked up my voice so most times kind of like I was coming out of a tube and so did you get any resistance from your family starting out um I I just think that they thought it was something that I wanted to do um and they supported it they were the one who helped me set up the equipment but I still kind of think they didn't know that it would end up here. I mean, nobody did. Well, I don't know. When you said you were doing a show, I just 
thought you'd always be a success because of your attitude. You're one of the most professional and organized people I've met. And I think I just kind of knew that you'd do well. And that's, that was always my gut feeling. And, um, and starting out in the wild west days of 2010, when the internet was young and not so old and flabby as it is now. But it really was the wild west. I was just sticking something or putting something on the wall and see if it stuck. Yeah, totally. And you were sort of podcasting really before people were podcasting, I think. You know, you were really sort of trying to... trying to- My first podcast date before any of DJ Bobby stuff was December 2006. Yeah, you see? You were going for it, buddy. But I didn't know what it was. I was just... It wasn't even that great. Like, it was... Everything was just so... Green. Well, it's no noise called podcasting anyway. It's the dumbest thing because all it is is radio on demand. It's just a new way of branding radio that's been pre-recorded. And, oh, yeah, it has different genres, but that's all it essentially is. It's just like, yeah. it's like, a, it's like a Netflix of audio. And so it's interesting how it became sort of like a thing. And now everybody's talking about podcast this and podcast that. And there are so many people who do it. And there are so many bad podcasts and so many people who believe that they've got this thing, but they really haven't. It's like, we almost need to do like a Simon Cowell on some of podcast world, I think, and sort of sit down and go, no, no, you should stop now. Really stop now. (laughs) But then that one of my favorite things is talking to other podcasters and hearing their setup and getting ideas from them and working with them. And that's how I met my graphic designer. He's the host of a podcast and he loved, loved our show and started doing graphics first. I, I remember when I first showed you the new logo, you're like, that's amazing because it was (laughs) you've always had a really good sense of graphics i think you've got a really good eye and a really good ear and you figure out what sounds good and what looks good i mean i always remember you turning around some really cool promos that you would cut together and or get someone else to cut and you know you were very smart about being a producer from the start like i'm gonna outsource this because i know i'm not the best at graphics so i'm gonna get somebody else to do it and if you have good people if you have good people around you and they support what you do use them yeah like and create create established connections that last Let's talk about some of your inspirations then, because, you know, I mean, obviously I'm going to talk endlessly about me and yeah, I know if I asked for one of your kidneys, you'd give it to me, but you know, let's, let's put me aside because I'm not that big a deal. Let's talk about some of the important people who've really impressed you or, or cheered you along or been vital to the success of your show. Who are those people? Well, similar to you, (laughs) there was a, you might you might even know this person or know of this person. She was a, a personality on Radio Disney, and she actually broadcast. She actually broadcast from those studios that you broadcast from at uh, MGM. Mm-hmm. And her name was BB Good, and she 
I'll tell you right now, she was the best dollar I ever spent. Because there was a point in time where you couldn't message people on Facebook that weren't your friends. And if you had to, if you wanted to, you had to pay a dollar. I don't remember that. Is that, that sounds outrageous. So it would no show up. In, so it would show up in their inbox. Huh? Who knew? And I just had this feeling that she would respond, and I would tell her about six-year-old me trying to win some Pokemon thing, or just like. <laughs> I just wanted to tell her how much she meant to me. And then we just talked and now we text back and forth like you and I do. I've always, and you know this, I, I love all, I love all sides of pop culture. I love TV. I love film. I love music. But I've kind of latched on to that late 90s, early 2000s sort of time because <laughs> that's when that's when people were like really innovative in the children's media space and you know that better than anyone. Yeah, you've really interviewed a lot of really interesting people from that period and I think what I like about your show is that you are unafraid to just go the route of just pure talent. I mean, you're, you're, what you admire is talent in all forms. And so you've had people like, you know, the co-creator of Dora the Explorer on, Chris Gifford. You've had, you know, um, the producers of the Rugrats. Um, there's lots of people you've had on the show, including the raw talent of people from other shows. But it's, it's interesting how you just care and are obsessed with how things get made and things of a certain era, like you said. What would you say was your favorite show of all time, do you think, from that period? One of my... Well, I, it depends on when you're acting, depending on the age. So one of them, and it's funny that you brought this up, was Rugrats. <laughs> you know this because you worked at Nickelodeon for years, how big it was. Yeah, huge. Huge. And getting to talk to those producers about the revival because they worked on the original and I knew that I prepped and I I looked at all the stuff they'd done. And we just had a real conversation with them because if you look at something like Nickelodeon from that time when you were on like Jerry Laybourne and all of the people there it was all just about kids being kids mm-hmm. it wasn't that what brown hair blue eyes Disney Channel approach that you know that that everything had to be perfect like the whole the whole concept of like Clarissa explains it all with her getting mad at her brother and wanting to like tie him up or just like stuff like that. Like we just kid being kid, having kid problems and <laughs> dealing with stuff. 
It's true because Disney seemed pretty cheesy compared to Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon had this kind of raw edge, and I'm, I'm I know I was on it, so I'm I'm biased, but it did it definitely. I I agree. It definitely. Spoke I mean, it, we call that wanted. getting messy. I mean, look at look at Clive, that whole concept. Like, that, yeah, you could. Ne- that would never happen on Disney, would it? Be like, oh no, 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 we're not doing that. You know, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Why you'd like that that sort of bunch of programs, but also that sort of idea, because you've always been a little bit like this. When you were growing up as a kid, were you aware that you could hold a conversation with people and entertain people? Oh, I was, I was very open. I was very like, whenever there was a party, I would bring my little boom box and start DJing. I would just, <laughs> Go. I what, whenever, what was your go-to dance floor filler? What what did you play? Back then? It, was, it was like Bahaman and like Aaron Carter, whatever was popular. And then hmm. I just because one of the main things and one of the things that I attribute to me liking this sort of weird mishmash of pop culture throughout time is that I couldn't go outside as a kid. I mean, I could. I'm not kidding that I'm stuck here. But, like, I just didn't. My thinking was if I couldn't play outside like like, like the other kids did, why am, I, why am I even doing it? So, TV and Radio were my friends. They were just there. Like you would find me watching Nickelodeon and then you'd find me watching TRL with Carson Daly and all these MTV stuff. So it wasn't just this preschool animation kick stuff. I was well-versed into what I've always been plugged in into what's going on right now. Even back then. Yeah, you've always been pretty cool, man. And I, th- I think that your awareness of this world, of all these different people is also extraordinary. That in fact, you're not just interested in the front of house people, but you're also interested in someone who's behind the scenes, like, you know, one of the key musicians from... Sesame Street, Bill Sherman's one of your more int- more recent interviews. Um, those kind of things obviously interest you, and the fact that you care about all that is so interesting, and makes I think makes it for a different show for you. It really is. It's like one of the things I've always been fascinated with with you is that you are fearless, or at least you come across as fearless. Are you? I, I, I would say I'm. I'm fearless, but I'm also insecure <laughs> and afraid of rejection. Anybody is. Yeah, that's human. But I mean, it's impossible to be 100%, isn't it? When people don't respond to me, I think it's my fault. Like, <laughs> not like, you know, it's like if I didn't get this interview, it's like, oh, what did I say? Whether not much anymore now, I just take it, but it's like, when I when I want something super big and it doesn't go, it's it's not the end of the world, but 
and it's not the end of the world, but it's something that affects me even for an hour or two because is it too much? Is it too much of a sob story for them? You don't know what they think. Like, is it? And I'm not reading into it. It could be, it could be different variables of things as to why they rejected it. But it's like, you know, you know, I just want to tell stories and be a platform for these creatives to share their stories. Like one of my favorite interviews I ever did was with someone you know very well, and it's Steve Greenberg. Brilliant. Good man. Very good I man. I love Steve. And he just, he was at, he was right there at that time frame that I always talk about. Like, who let the dog out was huge for him. That was, the, that was his first major hit on his own label as Kurt Records after years at Mercury with Hanson and all those guys. So it's like the creatives, even though it's in different arenas, they all have the same dream and they have the same motive and that is to be successful in their field. And my goal is to give them an interview where they're like, I haven't thought about that in forever. How many times do I bring up something to you and that happens pretty regularly? So I just want to be a conversation that they didn't know that they wanted to have. I really like that. You're opening the space for things for them to be excited about, but also to show and share part of themselves that, maybe they haven't shared with people in a platform like this. This is why this is a bit of a different interview. I think you and I talking, because we don't often have a chance to talk at the sort of a deeper level about these things. What I've always admired as well is that you have incredible access to people at quite high level. What's your secret? Like, how do you go about that? Well, I've just, one of two things. I just have, really good friends. And this is not me bragging. This is just, they like what they heard. They like their experience. So they're going to connect their friends because they think it would be a wonder. It would be a good conversation. And like, it's not like me going, oh, I know this person. Like, it's so cool to just, talk to these people and then get another interview out of it. It can happen all the time, but when it does, and what I've learned is when you're introduced to someone, it makes it 10 times easier than having to show yourself. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's something we could forget how, simple that power is and there's so many people we know and now you've got linkedin and everything you can find somebody fairly quickly who knows somebody can't you but it's still difficult and it's still the motivation of doing that and there must be some days when you feel like do i feel like doing this show at all yeah do you want to know 
how the interview request thing, like how that happened. Yeah, that, definitely. That's kind of connected to that. So I've written this template where I just basically tell the concept of the show and I just try to fine tune it so it's not like something that everybody else gets. But it's there because I only type with one finger. You know, I can't slave away at an email for like three hours. Like that's just so it's just fill in the blank. And I take an extra 20 minutes to try to like fill fill that with something personal. Like hey, I really liked your work as a child, or I really like what you're doing now. Can we discuss this? Can we talk about this? Or can your client talk about because most of the time I'm dealing with press and agents and all this stuff. And it's it's um it's just having having that basic template to kind of go off on and play around with and then just send it off. That's what people want. You know, because if you're sending them an email straightforward that everybody else has gotten, hello, welcome to the show. Would you like to be considered? It's like, no, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not what we're doing. That's far from what we're doing. So it's more, yes, it is a template and I, I play with it, but it's personalized too. And people can see that. And also they can sense the heart in it, can't they? They can sense your honesty about wanting to have them on the show and to celebrate them in many ways. And I think sometimes the overlooked capacity of the producers, the production team, the guys that actually make all that happen and having them on your show is pretty extraordinary and and very enlightening, isn't it? Because ultimately the voice talent on shows like Rugrats are the last people to be hired in many ways because... It's all about the structure first and the scripts and all of that and the producers that bring that to light. Just so the fact that you have friendships with people like Steve Greenberg and all these other producers, it just goes to show how much of a respect you have for the whole process, which is pretty cool. If there's a show that you could make now, what would you make? Would you be involved with production at all? Would you like to be involved in the future, moving forwards in other areas, not just radio? Like a television show? Maybe. Um, I, and I've, I've been very vocal about this. I want there to be an animated television show with um, a male or female lead in a wheelchair. It's about time, isn't it? I mean, the problem I've seen about the portrayal of characters like that is that it goes down the route of, say, Family Guy. And it's, and it's sort of, I don't know. They're kind of that or like make room for the character because right. How do you feel about that character on family guy, by the way, my thinking of it is it had to be done. You know, they're getting paid to do something and not everybody's going to agree with, Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I, I generally don't agree with it because it's, it's just an old-fashioned way of thinking. Like, one of my favorite stories from the show, from DJ Bob's history, is, like, not even on the air. So I was talking to this, this animator for this Disney Channel show called Stanley. And the show is about a six-year-old boy who, who goes into this book because he's obsessed with animals and the animals come alive, whatever. And there was an episode where he meets, he meets his cousin, Max, who is in a wheelchair. And I saw that as a kid and was like, that's me on the screen. Like, but hmm. they were using an outdated chair, even for 2002. Like, the, it was like one of those push things with the spokes. And you've seen our chairs. They've got buttons and gizmos and crazy stuff. And it wasn't that. So, not to mention the nitrous oxide that you put down there that gives you that extra 400 mile an hour kick when you're just trying to get past somebody on the high street. That's, I've always that was been a secret. That. How did oh, you know that? I'm, so, um, I'm sorry, man. Um, so then I talked to the, the, the art director, one of my dearest friends, and he's like, do you know that I gave people that we... That was something that we had to think about for months leading up to that. I'm like, so the fact that they were thinking about it even then makes me feel better. But you can't please everybody. Well, there's such an outrage machine at the moment, isn't there? You know, you just put one foot wrong. You can just say something like, hey, how's your day going? And people will be like, how dare you? You just offended 1,200 people in my, you know, in my country. And you're like, wait a minute, what? So it's so easy to offend. But, they, but things seem to be changing. Like, for instance, you know, there's a great friend of my buddy, Jack's, um, Ali Stroker, who's the um, uh, Broadway singer. I want to talk actress. to her. Yeah. Well, she, well, maybe we can fix that because I think I'll talk to Jack, but like, you know, obviously she's been in spring awakening and she's extraordinary. Right. I mean, she's in her thirties and there she is on Broadway and it just seems like no big deal. I mean, she was, she was on, um, I remember seeing her on one of the award shows. I think it was for the, um, she won the Tony. Yeah. The Tony award show. And she came out didn't she, she was, she just came out. She was an explosion on television and you couldn't help, but love her. And, and it was just to think you know, that she got her start on a reality show. Yeah. For yeah. Glee. Like that was, and then they gave her two episodes of that. And then it just skyrocketed from there. So on is that the conversation, note, is the conversation to like, do we have a conversation about like, why aren't we doing more of this? Or how do you normalize it and make it like no big deal? Like an able-bodied person doesn't look at another able-bodied person and just go, Hey, what's up? You know, um, what's weird about you? They just they just acknowledge each other straight away. It's like, okay, let's get on with what we got to talk yeah. about. I want there to be, I want there to be, um, disabled writers mm. in film and TV 
to share it. Like there was this wonderful show, it's a sitcom called Speechless. Mm-hmm. And it started out as a, just the run of the mill sitcom. And then they started hiring writers with CP and consultants and being real smart about it. And it made it into like a um, a safe haven for us on network. That's crazy. This was ABC. And it hasn't been done since. That was 2015. Yeah, it seems like, it seems to go in burst. Like, for instance, I always remember um, there's a guy called Ash Atala who basically is um, a, a British TV producer and he's one of the but he's a very successful producer. He produced the British version of The Office, the original version, the IT crowd, you know, who's done a lot the of IT different crowd. things. It's great. And that's Ash, you know, and he's, um, I think he has CP. Um, and so he does that, you know, he does what you guys have to go through, that kind of whole, oh yeah, what's this guy? Is this guy any good? And what are we going to have to acknowledge in order to, and it's like, no, no, shut up. This guy's really talented. And he can do whatever he wants to do. I, I think I may have t- spoken out of tone. I think he had polio and that's why he's in a wheelchair. But um, I, either way, it's like, it, you're right. It's like, how do we get more of that happening? But I suppose it's just, there's more integration and it's just more about. If you're going to get more people. of it happening, get the right people involved. Yeah. And do it for the talent reasons, not for a quotient, not for some sort of, yeah. you know. I mean, look how long it's taken for the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. to finally get keen. Like that, they're not the butt of the joke anymore. No, and we shouldn't be the butt of the joke either. No, I mean it's getting better now, but I feel like, like, and I want to just flip it because I just thought of this version. A lot of the stuff that you did on Radio KOL was comedic and was fun for the time. But if people heard it now, they would have so many problems. Like, you were, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I guess so. There were some things that I did, some of the characters that, but, that may have been a little bit sort of. Um, like, Look at Seamus. Look at Seamus. Yeah. Like that whole concept of, you know, you're like, 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 like you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's not, true. It's, it's not true. wrong, but it's like, I don't know if you ever thought about it like that. No, but I guess it's from the generation I'm from. And, you know, that is the thing to remember is that everybody's from a generation. And that that influence, and that I'm sure you everything. get. I'm sure, like, like when the show was on, did you ever get pushback? No, never. Um, from because parents, I think ever, or... never from parents, never from anybody. Because I think everyone realized it was just innocent fun. It was just you know there was nothing. Um, but I'm saying now personal. it probably would be flipped on a head and like. Well, now you wouldn't do certain things just like you wouldn't do things back then that, that's okay 
before, you know, everything has its sort of wave of time. And I think um, now if you did stuff, you'd have to really think hard about what you were going to say and do. Um, but you could still be free. You could still be doing stuff that's edgy. Oh my God, I was just thinking about that. Like some of the stuff that you got away with, mm. you couldn't though. You just couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's part of its play, isn't it? Part of it is like the innocence of play. And I think a lot of it came up with just sort of improvising with the kids who used to call in, you know? Yeah. So it's just interesting. And another, another point I want to make here is that mm. I was only listening to you for a little less than a year mm-hmm. before it ended. <laughs> so I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything, but like what, what was it about our small group, Ashley, James, Matt, the whole group mm. that made you want to stick by us? Because you talked to millions of kids. I think ultimately your personalities speak for themselves. The reason why I became friends with you and the gang is because you were fun. You guys were fun. You guys were brave in the sense that you didn't care in terms of your humor. You would just try anything and be silly. And I think that kind of, that kind of fun, that kind of mischief and that kind of fearlessness is something that attracted me because that's what I felt I was trying to achieve. And, and by drawing in great people like you and Matt and all the gang, you know, um, it just, I don't know. There's just something really cool about you guys that, that was different that made you stand out. And personally, I love being able to scream like a girl on your show. (laughs) But there's nothing wrong with essentially saying that. Even even saying it now is not you know like it's winning it's, a winning a Nintendo DS and screaming like a girl. Come on, yeah, they quality content. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> man. Cut to the clip. Hi, is that DJ Bob? Hey, how's it going, DJ Bob? Good. So, uh, what were you phoning up for? The Nintendo DS, right? Really? Yeah. So you like had to be call number thirty? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, so what call number were you? He didn't, Andrew didn't tell me. Oh, uh, didn't he? No, we didn't. Uh, well, I suppose what I could tell you is, uh, I don't think you're going to like this, DJ Bob. You've just won Nintendo DS Lite! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> Alright, buddy, hold on the line, we're going to take your details. It's just fun. It's just pure, unedited fun. And, you know, the thing that I think is difficult for kids these days is to just be a kid and to just be relaxed and to not worry about the outrage machine about whatever you're going to do. It's like, yes, there are certain things you shouldn't say and do, but ultimately don't govern yourself too much where you just can't be a kid. I mean, yeah, that's insane. So. I know you have to go in a little bit, but do you have any more questions? Like we 
I do want to get a few more in. Because... Yeah, of course. No, no, I do. And I and I was gonna I was gonna ask. Um, I think there's one that's really been that I've been thinking about, which um, I suppose the best thing to, way to put it is Noel McNeil interviewed you about your, you know, basically turn the tables of you and uh, on your 10th anniversary. What is the one question you wish he asked you that he didn't? <laughs> I haven't thought about that. I, I guess one of the things that I wish he would have asked me was, why did I choose him? Which, which means, like, <laughs> why did I, why do I choose anybody? Because I don't just choose somebody because I like their work. There's always a story connected to everyone that I interview. You know, there's always, sure, that movie was cool. It's never that. Like, a couple years back, there was a movie called Wonder um, Mm -hmm. that had, was very popular. And I don't know if you read that book as well. I did. Yeah, it's a great book. So, that the director of that movie directed another film called The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And that movie got me out of a really dark place a couple years back. So if I was able to get anybody connected to, to him, to that director... I just got in contact with the producers, but to be able to tell them, thank you for like representing a a group of people that are, you know, not talked about that much. It's wonderful. And I'm still trying to talk to that director because he's directing, he's adapting Jeremy Hank in that Broadway musical for the for the big screen in September. So I'm really pushing to get that because that almost be like a therapy session for me. <laughs> you know, just to be able to get that out. I know? think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And then let's talk about let's talk about guests as well. Like, who are the ones that got away? Well, the, the great wild whales, the ones that you really want to get on the show and you haven't just, you've just come close, but you haven't been able to achieve oh, that Oh, there's a, there's a bunch. I mean, there are things where I'll try to be connected with someone and, and then there are just people that I really, really want. I mean, I'll go down that list briefly. I want to talk to LeVar Burton. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I feel like he's got a ton of history, not only like Star Trek and Roots and to things like Reading Rainbow and hosting Jeopardy in a few weeks and like all this crazy stuff. He's going to be great on Jeopardy. That's going to be great. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. So LeVar Burton, okay, who else? Um, Alan Menken, I want to pick his brain. Because, you know, oh. I mean, writing things 
you know, Aladdin, Little Mermaid, all those classic scores that people, just creative people in general, like, and I just want to talk to, there's such a long list, and I'm probably going to regret not getting somebody, but like, no, you can't regret that. I think, you know, I mean, you could spend an entire series I talking could. to Alan Menken about, like, you know, <clears throat> how he wrote A Whole New World or things like that. I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff yeah. that he's done, right? And I just want, like, there's a ton of people that I want to just, one of my, okay, here's the Mount Why don't you Rush- give us the top, yeah, the, give us the top three, man. Here's, top the, three. Mount, here's the Mount Rushmore. Um, this is the main couple. I want to talk to Tom Bergeron. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's supposed to be really nice. And I know, and I brought that up at Noel too, because Noel, when he was doing Bear, he was on Hollywood Squares for a week and Tom hosted that. So they got to know each other very well. Mm-hmm. But um, then I want to talk to you. Gilbert Gottfried would be one. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. You know, my, you know, my, one of my closest friends, Jack, he's, uh, <laughs> he, he works with Molly Matlin and, yeah. um, he's often mistaken for Gilbert Gottfried. In fact, <laughs> so much so when they did a roasting and I can't remember who they roasted, um, basically they uh, roasted him. Well, they came on and uh, and 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 Jack did this whole bit about like he's had enough of working with Marley and all that kind of stuff. And and then Gilbert Godfrey came on and said, can I can I take over? Because <laughs> he looks the same. And they did this brilliant bit of shtick. <laughs> it's so it. funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, the top three are that director, Stephen Shabosky, the one that directed Perks and Wonder and, you know. Yeah, doing the German Hankin movie, um, Lin Manuel Miranda would be one. Oh, huge! Yeah, and getting to talk to Bill Sherman, who worked with him on Hamilton and in the Heights, was a dream to me. So it's like it's just this this weird mishmash of Broadway, TV, film, music. Everything just excites me. The creative stuff excites me. Yeah, the creative spirit. I mean, because that you are, you're a pure creative yourself, you know, the way you like to create things and uh, the sound of the show and all of that. And, okay, favorite jingle of all time. Favorite jingle. Well, while we're here, I have to give props to my editor, who's playing with our audio right now, essentially. We gotta hey, give don't a- cut this bit out. Don't cut this bit out, okay? Do <laughs> not cut this bit out. We got to give a shout out to Nate. He is a very, a very accomplished puppeteer. He's working on um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 right now. Oh my goodness. He so plays cool. Cro- Crow T Robot on that, that show and on tour too. Oh, that's incredible. So he's been such a wonderful asset to what we do. And I've cultivated this this team, albeit small team, but 
a team that just gets it. Not everybody's going to get this show. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it too. Apart from the people who should get it. And you guys know who you are. You better get it. Okay. I think, I think about you and I know I always gush about how much you've impacted me, blah, 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 blah. But you, you were doing things that were things that were already outdated by the time you were doing them. Like, I think the first time I ever heard they're coming to take me away was, and all those weird Dr. Demento comedy records was through you. Well, yeah, because it's like, I always felt like my job was the big brother. Like, and my big brother was brilliant to me in the sense that he'd play me Monty Python and Spike Milligan and and a lot of great comedy, brilliant and, stuff. And I know that you were a big Muppets fan in the beginning. Oh, of huge, the- huge Muppets fan. I loved it. So excited about them. And, and I think that's why I try to play as much of that as possible because it's just good stuff. And your generation growing up at the time hadn't heard it because it was so played out and so old. Um, that nobody thought to play it to your generation. So like a whole, I was worried a whole generation of kids were going to miss out on but some then of the ag- greatest comedy. But, you know? but then again, like you had, you did that, but you also did things like, um, what is it? like hockey monkey. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can blame Mark Schultz for that one. He, he was like, you got to, man, you got to play this song. The kids will love it. Like, and they I did. Even, but it was, it was, it was on this, this hard to find kid album that nobody knew. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like you exposed me to such great stuff. You're welcome. I have to thank you for that. Like I said, 2550, buddy. PayPal or Venmo. Okay. What about pizza the next time you're here? Oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's not, didn't we have pizza? Yeah, we had pizza at your place when I was there last, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. I enjoyed that a lot, man. So That's cool. I, I, I really, we could go on forever, but just rapid fire. Any quick questions that you've got that we could just wrap it up with? Favorite pair of socks? I guess the ones I'm wearing right now. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> Least favorite thing to eat before going on the air? Well, obviously fast food because it'll get you in trouble. <laughs> and get you fired, right? Just bringing it back full circle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, best TV show of all time. Best TV show of all time. Now, okay. I have to say that it's one of my favorite is How I Met Your Mother. Ah, it's so great. Challenge accepted. I got to talk to the co creator of that. And that we kept a thrill. And we are very good friends now because his son also has a disability, so we bonded over that. And it was, it was such a beautiful conversation. So to get, and just to tie it all up here, to get these conversations and to make them, because these people are interviewed left and right, but to be able to kind of 
humanize them and make them sort of just stop and have fun for an hour. That's all I need. I mean, look, I've had guests that I've loved, but it's always been kind of, they always, they might have a weird attitude where it might be a little weird, but the interview wasn't bad. But all the conversation I've had, including this one, it's just, you and I have never had a conversation like this. It's pretty deep, isn't it? Yes. You are laying down on my couch now, and we are talking about your childhood. Okay, not that deep. Okay, fair enough. But seriously, we've never had this conversation. It's a very different conversation. And I think it's a conversation we've been wanting to have, but it's just that, you know, the time and space isn't allowed for it. And doing something like this right now has been really, it's been very eye-opening, man. And I still think there's a lot of stuff to get under the hood with. But, you know, that's for another day. But while we're there, is there one question, just a shop question or just something technical or about the show that you just want to know? Yeah, man. But how do you have such a, I mean, okay. So the situation you're in with CP and, and you have one finger in a sense that really is like really effective. How on earth do you manage to be so quick on everything? I just build templates and I, I know I, I use my mouse and I have shortcuts and I just, I try to find workarounds to the things that I can't do. You know, it's like, because especially with Adobe Audition, that's why I swear by it, because it is so customizable. Hey, don't swear at Adobe, okay? They don't like it. Okay. Don't swear at them, dude. No swear words. I don't have a bleep button right now. Come on. <laughs> no, I think that's amazing. You're a mouse warrior because you're super fast. You're lightning fast reflexes, and I and I've always been impressed with that. And I just think, you know, the the difficulties that you face on a daily basis are never apparent in any. And you've show. seen it. You've been here, so yeah. you know. Yeah, man. I love your setup. It's cool. It's really cool. And uh, what is your favorite sound effect of all time? Well, the I like the the sad trombone. This one. <laughs> Oh, I love that one. That's great. Yes. <laughs> but in all seriousness, let's do this again soon. Yeah, man. And thank you for celebrating with me. Like, oh, this- my goodness. My pleasure. Happy 11th anniversary. Next time, we'll be talking about the amazing period of Bob's life from 1952 to 1974. Oh, um, boy, have we got some secrets to unearth then. <laughs> <laughs> okay well I'll be back for that <laughs> I'll be there too I love I'll you I love you too man and congratulations on 11 years of the DJ Bob show yeah <laughs> it's the weekend it's okay. the weekend <laughs> yeah that was such that was such an, an insider reference <laughs> Only kids listening to KOL between the ages of, well, you're now nearly in your 30s and 40s.
It's embarrassing. Well, sixty twelve then. But yeah, but all right, that's it, man. That's it. It's a wrap. Stick a fork in it. Stick a fork in both of us. We're done. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present.